Hi, my name is Tracy Cook and this series gives a voice to those that have overcome obstacles in all forms that now dare greatly to be the visionaries of tomorrow, inspiring people through their story to create a world of love, hope and empathy because we all know that change starts with our story. So please subscribe and check out the show notes for how to connect with our special featured guest today and the free resources available to you from our Brand Your Story Academy. All the details are in our show notes. Our upcoming guest, our beautiful guest today, is telling her story for the first time. This is a big deal. Now, our guest... I'll introduce her in just a moment. She ticks all of the boxes not to be a success, living through fear of loneliness in the world, divorced at 20 with a 12-month-old son, three marriages. Her father was a survivor of the Holocaust, losing her mother and her brother, who is her best friend, and also lots of other lived experiences that we may delve deep into today. Losing her grandbaby at six months of old age to brain cancer. Now, our upcoming guest, Aggie Moy, welcome to Victim to Victory. Oh, hello, Tracy. Thank you so much, um, you know, for allowing me to share my voice on uh, Victim to Victory. It's an absolute honour and privilege. Thank I, you. Um, I'm very excited to be here. I do have a story and I hope, you know, in some way it um, it, it, it can, um, you know, um, resonate with, um, with people. So um, my story, gosh, my story really... I was looking um, at what you were saying and I was putting it into a timeline, so to speak, but really I think everything that has occurred in my life and everything that I have achieved in my life I think goes back to my father in all honesty. And he was, as you said, a survivor of the Holocaust and, you know, I personally cannot even imagine um, the trauma, the fear, the anger, the anguish. You know, when you actually survive a train trip to Poland uh, with no food and no water and when you get out of that train and you are one of the survivors amongst people who haven't survived and then you are asked to go one direction and you see your entire family go in another direction to actually know that they're not going to come back um, because, you know, they've they've been condemned to death for no other reason that, you know, some, some person's preconceived idea of what should happen at that time. Uh, my mum, who at the time was back in Hungary, Um, with a little boy, my brother, and having to literally hide him in an attic, again, trauma, neither parent knowing what's happening or what's going on, and a very unexpected, after the Russian occupation, a very unexpected meet in Vienna. And then um, with that, 
with that unexpected mate, um, they've put their visas in for a few different countries. Australia comes through first. And I guess here we are. And then a little girl is born. So there is 20 years difference between my brother and myself. And for me, so much loss has occurred in my timeline. So, and fear. So at the age of 20 or at the age of 19, I was married and, you know, with a, a, a little boy at the age of 20, divorced. And, but I'll go back prior to that. I actually, before the marriage and, and before, you know, meeting my husband, I had made a decision that I, I wanted to be like my, my dad, even early as that. I wanted to not be the norm I, I and not just go to school. I, I decided that I wanted to, you know, get out into the workforce and, and I wanted to do things and experience things. Can you imagine at the age of 17, walking around the streets of Sydney and walking into every shop and asking if, you know, there was availability of employment. Back then you didn't need a resume. You just had to present yourself, walk into the stores, and I desperately wanted to work in a store. And lo and behold, one store actually said, come back after lunch and the manager will interview you. <laughs> and I'll never forget, it was a beautiful store. It was called Mr. Christian and they sold handmade shoes and bags. And then I had to go home and tell my parents that I had got that job. And I knew that they weren't going to be too happy with that because it actually meant cutting out of school six months early in my higher school certificate. I guess where it came, my father heard, went out and did this on her own. And then he also heard, you know, shoes and bags because when he came to this country, and one of the reasons he did survive the Holocaust was he was a shoemaker. Wow. And yeah. So when he heard all this, he's like, my little girl. Okay. Okay. So let's move forward. And um, I, I met my husband. And to be honest with you, there wasn't anything really wrong with the marriage. It was more that I, I, I felt I couldn't give my husband the things that he needed. I felt insecure. I'd already felt fear coming into the relationship. And we parted because of me. And there I was with a young baby. And back in those days, and we're talking, um, you know, 1978. And uh, back in those days, you didn't get assistance or government assistance. So when you made a decision like that, it was a decision where you had to stand up on your own two feet. You really did. And it was scary. And I knew that my mum and dad, they would support me. But me, the way that I was programmed or built, I wanted to stand up on my own. Anyway, there was a lot of a fear, a fear attached at that time. And um, uh, then again, my dad organized for me to get a placement and work at a bank. And that was joyous because 
I've, I've come to learn that I've always been in industries of service and like working in a shop, helping people look gorgeous in their shoes and trying the right bags on, it's still making people happy. And even with the bank, I worked there for 10 years and it was still making people happy. I would help people with their insurance, with their term deposits, you know, it was still in the service industry. And um, so that was really cool. And I had met, um, you know, um, a wonderful man um, during that period. And we really did have a great time together and we got married and I had another little um, boy. And then it's almost as if like happiness <laughs> And then he gets slammed. Mm -hmm. So we moved to the country. So this was all occurring in Sydney and I'm from Sydney. And we moved to the country because there was um, a friend uh, of his and he had bought a hotel and he said that um, it would be great great country lifestyle if we moved to the country and we could manage that hotel for him. Well, little did I know, and I'm sure little did my husband know that that hotel was set up to fail. It was set up as somewhere to put money that then would go downhill. And it, it really turned, you know, quite ugly and it couldn't be saved. And I went back home to my mum and dad and um, or actually just my dad at that stage. I'd already lost my mum. I'd lost my brother. And I then I get a, a phone call or, or a knock on the door and it was to say that my husband had committed suicide and, and honestly there was zero sign, zero sign of any of that was going to happen because he was 100% certain that everything was going to be okay and you know he was going to find another little business in the country but as I look back on it I guess the scaredness of that's why he sent me back home because perhaps he had already known and my life just absolutely crumbled at that stage I couldn't think I was paralyzed um, I couldn't, it was, it was hard. It was really, really hard. And as I said, previously losing my brother, he really was my best friend because there was 20 years between us and everything that we did together, he treated me like his little girl. I'll move forward. There's more. <laughs> um, now, so Aggie, I mean, just up until this point, you know, you've, you've shown so much bravery and, and and picking yourself up and you've lost your mother, you've lost your brother, um, you, you've lost your, your second husband, you've um, had two marriages, you've still got two children you're looking after. Um, this is just such a, a weight and totally understandable that you're feeling kind of a bit lost and a bit um, fearful about your future. Um, this is just such an amazing journey and, and more than most people could bear. Um, what happened next after that? Um, there was anger inside of that as well. 
it was like, why me? Why always me? Um, so what happened after that was I went to visit my dad back in Sydney and um, uh, because I had come back to the country for um, clearly the funeral and a, and a few things to get sorted. And I went to visit my dad back in Sydney and I walked in, I don't, I can't explain why, but I walked into a TAFE, as we used to call it back then, a technical college. And there was this incredible artwork all over the walls. And then there was a little sign and the little sign said, learn to paint. And I thought, wouldn't that be amazing? Well, let me fast forward. It was amazing. I was so excited. I went back to dad and I said, how can I make this work? How can I come back to Sydney each week, you know, for, for a few days? How could I, how could I take on a TAFE course? And he was going to help me out with the boys. And I did, I did the TAFE course and I actually became an art teacher. And <laughs> I know so diverse from what I was doing from a licensee of a hotel to an art teacher. And I developed this beautiful clientele up here in the country. And before long, everybody was talking about it. And I was running classes. And, you know, what became very obvious was a lack of supply of paint, of brushes, and of tools. And my, my then partner, my new partner, another new partner, said to me, why don't you open a shop? <laughs> and I did. That's exactly what I did do. And I had the most amazing experiences with the most amazing women. I used to stay back with them at nighttime. I used to pour my soul into them. We used to paint together. We are still to this day really, really good friends with a few of the core girls. And everything was running along pretty cool. And that was up to the year 2000. And I remember that because that was the year they brought in GST. And I thought to myself, do I really want to continue down this path? And then I thought, well, I'll continue for a little while. And then the news that I was sick. Um, so I had um, a, a lump on my back that I had checked out and it turned out to be um, down, you know, to the third dermal of my skin. It was melanoma. I needed surgery. I needed radiation. And that really did, you know, put a stop to that um, teaching, the art teaching. I needed to have a break. I needed to look after myself. And interestingly enough, through wanting to get clean product and not put toxins in the house and have toxic cleaning and, and cleaner products inside my body, um, I ran into some pretty incredible product that I thought and I started, you know, cleaning the house with these products and using these products and I started to feel a little bit better in myself as well and then, of course, that led to wanting to share those products with everybody and then, of course, that led to my network marketing business which was a very, very, very successful business for 20 years, not to put any slight on what I went through with melanoma because I was actually told that I needed to tell my boys 
because the chances of survival past four months were slim and I really, I somehow I got the strength to keep telling myself every single day um, that I was going to see my boys and see them get married and see their babies. So, <laughs> I mean, they're um, words that no mother wants to hear, and it's um, we should never outlive um our, our children should never outlive us and that is just such a position that every mother um thinks that that is when we get that diagnosis or when we get that prognosis and we hear those words I think the first place we go to as a protective mother bear is no I'm gonna fight this um that's not an option um, and then the realisation of those words sink in after that, don't they? And then and it's sure. like, okay, so what do I do? Do I make plans? Do I still keep fighting? And we do everything fathomably possible to not have that outcome. And um, just the bravery around that um, is to be commended as well, Aggie. Um, so, yeah, fighting Fighting for life, that's interesting. And, um, again, I keep thinking about my dad. You know, he um, he survived for a reason and I'm making sure that um, there's validation to that, absolutely. Definitely. And your boys are how how old at this, at this stage, Aggie? Oh, my goodness. They're 45 and they're 35. Mm -hmm. and they've got beautiful families themselves I adore them they are my every breath um, they are my every living moment uh, so um, and they know the family story of your or their grandfather being a holocaust survivor and they know your story of of trauma and travels as well. And how has that changed or impacted the way they live their lives with their families? That's a great question. They are the absolute parents that I wish I could have been every single day. They are amazing with their children. Uh, it is incredible to watch they come home from work and, you know, because the 35-year-old has a young family, so from the minute he comes home from work and he also has his own business, so entrepreneurial, uh, he plays with those kids until it's shower time and he's the one that showers them. With, with the other family, again, it's a um, beautiful family. My 45-year-old, he's actually a school teacher. And they had uh, some tragedy as well. So their second-born Luke uh, was diagnosed with um, uh, a tumour at the age of 10 weeks when he couldn't um, move his legs. And unfortunately, my little Lukey never came out of... Um... Oh, here we go. <laughs> out of hospital from 10 weeks to the age six months. So Tracy, 
I just need to say it's um, watching your own child watch their child die. That probably has been my my biggest sadness. And it's taken 2016 to 2020, four years, and I probably should have opened up. That's the one thing I really want to say. Whatever people are going through, there's really good people around you and you need to ask for help. Mm. And um, so I did. I shut myself away a little bit and uh, probably not the thing to do. And uh, and then I came across some wonderful people in 2020 who inspired me to no end. And little by little, I started to put the pieces back together again uh, to the point where uh, we are here now and I'm in an industry ooh, where I get to help people. I get to listen to people. Um, I get to listen to their hurt, their pain, their sorrow, their fear, their emotions. And I get to play quite a big part in helping them, you know, work through those things. So, yeah. You're a true visionary of tomorrow, Aggie, and your lived experience and the exciting times and the traumas that, that you've been through to still rise up and and have that passion um not only as a a a sought after hypnotherapist but also you're helping women over 40 to go beyond their self-limiting beliefs just like you did with your own story and remove those blocks those success blockers and assist them in moving forward in their businesses and their life and becoming the women that God intended. So through your your lived experiences and you breaking through, and we always continue to break through limiting beliefs and also working with and talking to the unconscious mind like you do with your hypnotherapy and bringing those moments and your own personal journey and that love and that hope and that empathy that you have inside of you to be able to go on to break those generational traumas and to bring vision like you have with your two boys and their families and your grandchildren to leave that legacy of love, hope and empathy because you've been so brave and had that vision to go on and help others and you're so passionate your story today will help change and save so many lives. You've told it for the first time and I can hear the tears in your voice and I can feel the energy just coming through our virtual podcast and I can feel how much impact this is going to have with our audience. And I loved your message of ask for help. So if you're listening today, please take on Aggie's words. It's okay to sit in that space and to have a moment to take stock, but you really need to raise your hand, reach out to the resources. If you're in Australia, reach out to Counselors Beyond Blue and really take stock of 
where you're heading. Because as Aggie's story goes, we have these moments and these happy moments and then in her own words and then something will happen. These are all lessons to wear our story like a superhero cape and not an anchor. And they will lead us to something else, just like with Aggie's lent her to painting and to be able to use it almost as a form of therapy and connection. And we always find our purpose when we're not looking for it, just like Aggie did. And through Aggie's story, I really hope you find inspiration and motivation because change does start with your story. And Aggie, what kind of message would you like to leave our audience on today? Oh, I'd love to. Thank you, Tracy. So um, don't become a victim of yourself. Uh, Definitely reach out, ask for help and turn that fear into courage. Turn that fear into courage. I love that message. Thank you so much for being a visionary of tomorrow here inside the Victim to Victory podcast. And we honour you for telling you your story, your personal story, as hard as this is for the first time. So everyone listening today, please go check out Aggie on the links that we'll provide here in the show notes. You can subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify and YouTube. So leave a comment and you will also go into the draw to win an Amazon gift card. Remember, change starts with your story. Thank you very much, Aggie. Thank you so much, Tracy. See you in the pod. Thank you.